you tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, January 30th, 2024, the 1105th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So I have to say... Yesterday, I was just slightly worried when I put the episode up that everybody would be like, why are you talking about Taylor Swift too? And to be honest, I would totally get it if that was the reaction. But thankfully, it wasn't. And people appreciated the episode. And I'm very grateful for that. And while expressing gratitude, I should mention, I don't mention nearly enough, but I should mention how grateful I am that so many of you are supporting the show financially, knowing that you don't have to. It really does make devoting this much time to this project worth it and possible, to be honest. And it really is an honor to know that you value the show enough to throw five bucks a month at it when you could just be getting it for free 36 hours later. So truly, thank you all. And I know I've been saying I'm going to start a live video aspect to create something more interactive with my Substack subscribers. I am committed to doing that, and I'm hoping to start that relatively soon. I even thought about maybe doing it last week, and the time just got away from me with this show as many times a week as I attempt to do it, and then three shows on Badlands Media per week, and then, of course, the research and trying to get to the gym here and there and trying to have something of a life. So again, thank you. You guys make all that possible. But let's get to it. 
So there's one thing from the New York Times article about Taylor Swift yesterday that I just completely skipped over. I had pulled out a specific quote for that article, put it up on Telegram just to call people's attention to that in addition to the Taylor Swift of it all. And I completely forgot to mention it. But before I get to that, I want to play some audio from a podcast by former MMA UFC fighter Paige Van Sant and her husband. I guess they have a podcast together. And she addressed the reality in Hollywood of dating as public relations, as an opportunity to enhance both people's fame. Have a listen to a couple minutes of this. So uh, my publicist calls me and said, hey, this NFL player is interested in doing a dinner with you. Would you ever want to go on a date with him? Yeah. And at the time I was like... 21, 22, and I was like, screw it, whatever, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So I agree, because I, I am on Dancing with the Stars. I am trying to be more, I guess, quote-unquote famous. I'm trying to become more successful. And of course, yeah. They, they recommended that I go on the date. They, rec- they were like, all right, we'll have paparazzi standing by. So they plan where the paparazzi is going to be. They yeah. plan, we're going to get a picture of you guys doing this at dinner. Maybe you'll hold hands in this, in this spot. They, like, plan where you're going to do everything. Yeah. I agree to it, whatever. Get the NFL player's number. We're texting. He plans to pick me up at my um, apartment that I'm Mm -hmm. staying in. And uh, the date comes. He shows up, calls me, calls me, calls me. And I pretended not to be home. (laughs) Because I just was like, I, I I don't want to. I chickened out. This is boosting my ego even more. Yes, anyways. Okay. He showed up. At my apartment, and I stood him up and oh pretended boy. not to be home. I was never stood up, by the way. You were never stood up. <laughs> the point of this being yes. why okay, this applies. Yeah, let's get to the point. Yeah. I think that the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey love story, yeah. I believe it is 100% fake. Oh. I truly believe it is publicity to The Swifties to a, are going like, to be after you. Come for me, Swifties. Swifties Every, you know what? You. I have UFC fans coming for me. I think I can handle the Swifties. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I, which, no, I think there's going to be Swifties who don't believe she's too good for Travis Kelsey. Anyway, uh, that's true, too. Yeah. But whatever side you fall on, yeah. I believe it is 100% fake. It is publicity. It is, one, it's huge for the NFL. Yeah. Whether you think so or not, because yes, the NFL is big. Yeah. Taylor Swift is huge, and now she's getting an entirely different demographic to come watch the NFL. Yeah, that never was interested in it before. Yeah, think of the think of the wives that are buying Travis Kelsey jerseys now, or Swifty jerseys for Taylor Swift, and I. It's a huge publicity play on both fronts. It's good for Taylor Swift. It's good for the NFL. It's good for Travis Kelsey. I will. I will say this, and I. I had a different. I, you I have didn't a different think, perspective. I, I thought but... it. Was, I. I thought it was real, but the more we kind of talk about it, you know, he did not to get political because I don't want to talk about that shit. But he did this season come out with the the vaccine commercial. Yes, it is kind of like yeah. There, There's there are so some... much strategic stuff that's happening. Yeah. Then um, I see. I see. I let get me it. tell you more. You are you are a conspiracy theorist. A oh, little 100%. bit. Way more than I am. But... I, it's not a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, if everything I, I say is true. Yeah, I I get it. I get so, it. So another reason. So yeah. the NF, So Taylor Swift had. Um, I know this just. A, a, it was a big news story because her old manager owned the rights to a lot of her albums. Yeah. So she then made Taylor's version, which means she wanted all of her fans to only listen to Taylor's version because she owns that version. And her okay. prior manager didn't get any income from it. She got the income from Taylor's version of her albums, which she owned. Yeah. The moment Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift started dating, the NFL changed their bio to Taylor's version. And so she goes on and speculates a little bit about what she thinks it all means. But I wanted to play that to make it clear from another first person perspective, somebody who actually has firsthand knowledge of how this stuff works. This really is how Hollywood dating is conducted among certain types of celebrities. I'm not saying that there are no real relationships. I'm not saying that I can spot all the fakes. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying that at times, People are set up by members of their quote unquote team, their publicist, their manager, their agent, whoever, in order to enhance the public profile of both of the people. 
It's the fiction that sells, so they make their lives correspond to the fiction that will sell. Now, one more thing from that video, Paige Van Sant mentions the NFL Taylor's version, and that actually was a public press push. That is not some cute way that people began to describe it. It was a professional coordinated media effort. The Washington Post in late September of last year ran this headline. You thought you knew the NFL. Now meet Taylor's version. Fox Sports ran a headline. The NFL, Taylor's version. Every NFL team as a Taylor Swift song. Now, Fox broadcasts the NFL. They are an official media partner of the NFL, and they put out this piece as part of a publicity effort. The first couple paragraphs, welcome to the NFL, Taylor's version. Taylor Swift has taken over the narrative direction of the entire league after news of her rumored romance with two-time Super Bowl champion tight end Travis Kelsey spread like wildfire, blurring the lines between sports fandom and pop culture, also between fiction and reality. Parade Magazine on October 7th of last year, the day of Israel's 9-11, had this headline, Taylor Swift fans are losing it over this immediate purchase perfect for football season. And about halfway down the article, they get to the point. The Wild Poppy Lane shop posted their newest product on TikTok days before the October 1st game. It's a solid crew neck sweatshirt with the NFL logo on the front. But instead of the NFL being in the crest per usual, it instead says Taylor's version in the same font. Genius doesn't begin to cover this new Swifty approved merch. And then the article links multiple times to this retail outlet. And then, of course, as Paige Van Sant mentioned, the NFL actually changed their ex formerly Twitter profile to read Taylor's version. And just so we're clear, after a dispute over the rights to the master recordings of her first, I think, six albums and realizing that she wasn't going to be able to cut her old manager, Scooter Braun, out of the equation fully, she re-recorded all her music, making Taylor's version so that her fans could only listen to that and all the money could be directed toward her. Now, that is one of those stories that is so nonsensical and such obvious bullshit that I imagine if you were to pull on that thread, you would find out something much deeper and darker going on there, which is why they have to turn it into a massive show of women's empowerment. Oh, Taylor's taking back the power so that she can make all the money on this music because Scooter Braun's a bad, bad man. And then, of course, there was... Talk of George Soros being involved in the acquisition of the rights to her music. But before we get off the subject of Taylor's version, let's take a little flashback. November 22nd, 2021, NFL gives nod to Taylor Swift's Red re-release with Jonathan Taylor's version. You see, Jonathan Taylor is a star running back in the NFL. Check out this little piece of obvious corporate PR. And to be clear, this is a corporate partnership. It's a good time to be named Taylor. Just ask Taylor Swift, whose new re-recorded LP, Red, Taylor's version, is sitting at number one on the Billboard 200 albums chart. The singer-songwriter released the re-recorded album earlier in November, after she was unable to get ownership of the masters of her first six studio albums. A few NFL teams are tipping their cap to how big of a deal it is that Swift is challenging the music industry's norms. Oh, isn't that incredible? The NFL teams are all so impressed by how Taylor Swift is challenging the music industry's norms in her decision to re-record all her albums and try to get fans to only listen to the new version of her songs. Why is the NFL telling America that it's a good thing Taylor Swift has re-recorded and re-released her music? What do they have to do with that? Ah, nothing. It's just co-branding. Back to the article. 
On November 14th, just two days after the album was released, the New England Patriots and Gillette Stadium made sure to shout out the red seen around during game day on Twitter. Red sleeves, Matthew's version, it says in a tweet from the Patriots. Red, Gillette Stadium's version. A tweet from the Patriot Stadium, Gillette Stadium. And they go through a couple more examples. And the article concludes this way. Sounds like Taylor Swift and the NFL are a potential quote unquote love story in the making. (laughs) How about that? Two years before Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey awkwardly pretending to be in love after NFL games, ESPN writes an article about Taylor Swift and the NFL and writes, Sounds like Taylor Swift and the NFL are a potential quote-unquote love story in the making. And is Love Story a Taylor Swift song title? Of course it is. Now, occasionally, when people point out that stuff like this is fake, people who enjoy engaging in the illusion get very upset. For whatever reason, wherever they are at in their lives, they want stuff like this to be true. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they're all decades-long victims of princess programming. And the Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey saga is like a Disney movie opening up before their eyes in reality. And they don't want to have that image spoiled. There are even people who are like, yeah, I understand this sort of thing does happen and it is fake. But it's not always fake. So I'm going to believe that this one is the real one because I really do just enjoy it. Just like those same princess programmed people. And it's hard to know what to make of that. Are these people still asleep? They might be. Are they going to make it? I don't know. doesn't seem like they're gonna. But I get it. In a sense, I get it. It's kind of depressing to see all of these parts of what you thought was reality just simply fall away as yet another aspect of the artifice that was built up all around us. It's very disorienting. All of a sudden, you realize... You have to find completely new interests because all of your prior interests were fake. Well, hey, I get it. We're kind of getting down to the end of the wire on the whole politics thing, too, aren't we? It's all fake, guys. Sorry about it. But the thing is, once you actually just let go of all that artifice, all that fake stuff, you can still engage with it, knowing that it's fake, the way people engage with pro wrestling, knowing that it's just a show. But better than that, you can begin to focus only on those things that you know to be real. Maybe you change how you engage with your friends or your family or your spouse. Maybe rather than finding a new reality show to watch or devoting more time to professional sports on television, you develop a hobby that produces something in real life, a skill that might become more useful in the future, let's say. And again, I say this with sympathy. I know that people are kind of exhausted. They don't want to hear that another thing is fake. They don't want to have to let go of something else when they feel like they've let go of so many things. I understand, but it doesn't change the underlying reality. And as with everything else you have successfully let go of, you should understand that upon letting go of this thing too, you begin that process toward being totally okay with having let it go and realizing that letting it go actually helps you proceed forward in your life on a much truer, more relevant, more important and productive path. Because ultimately, all true happiness and contentment and satisfaction derives from that stuff that we know to be real. But let's wrap up Taylor Swift conversation I would say hopefully forever, but as it stands, there's probably no way that's true. And in addition to that, I am selecting a movie for Badlands Story Hour next week that is going to directly relate to this Taylor Swift psyop in the lead up to the Super Bowl. So we'll definitely be talking about it then. But hopefully she will have no effect on politics for the rest of the year and we'll never have to discuss her again. But for now, let's wrap it up with this New York Times article. And here is the section that I left out yesterday, focused too much on the Taylor Swift of it all. Mr. Biden's aides argue that voters remember the events of January 6th, 2021 all too well, making the day a touchstone akin to the September 11th terrorist attacks. 
They think an anti-Trump message about democracy can persuade Democratic voters to line up behind Mr. Biden and win over independents who backed Mr. Trump in 2020, but disapprove of his behavior since. Absolute clown show. That describes absolutely nobody in this country. That is a strategy that has 0% chance of success. And of course, they know that. So the question then becomes, why are they pursuing that strategy? Because that strategy is not by any measure a strategy that prioritizes winning over voters. Think about the sort of people that would be undecided between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Do you really think any of those people believe that January 6th was a terrorist attack akin to 9-11? but they're also considering voting for Donald Trump. It's preposterous. They know that. They also know that the New York Times readership does not know that. As I've discussed on this show many times, the narrative about Donald Trump and MAGA being violent extremists and Nazis is not about winning over voters. But let's continue. The January 6th attack hangs over the Biden campaign in another way as well. Unlike in 2020, the president and his team believe that the end of the election will not be in November, but on January 6th, 2025, when Congress will count the Electoral College votes. That is the New York Times saying that the fake president, who they pretend is a real president, is focused in his Democrat campaign and in this regime operation, not with the election on November 5th of this year. They're focused on January 6th, 2025. Mr. Biden's team is building out a legal strike force in battleground states to prepare for a range of challenges, including matters of basic voting rights, but extending to the certification of the election under the Electoral Count Reform Act, the 2022 federal law that was meant to stave off any repeat of Mr. Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 election. And people on our side, I believe mistakenly, point to that law and say, yeah, that's what's going to make it so that Kamala Harris can't challenge the Donald Trump victory. Now, I guess if you believe that all of this is simply a scripted show that is playing out over these years. And that's not the craziest belief. And if you also believe that that fiction has no end, we will just flip from the regime's false story about reality to quote unquote, our false story about reality. Then maybe Kamala Harris respecting the 2022 Electoral Count Act in order to have a peaceful transition of power back to Donald Trump makes some sense, but otherwise it makes no sense. People who steal elections right out in the open, people who mandate vaccines and operate a slave trade at the southern border, they care about the 2022 Electoral Count Act? No, they don't. That's not going to stop anything in reality. It can stop something in a narrative sense if we're just going to live with fake reality for the rest of time. But in reality prime, in the empirical observable reality, the regime that steals elections and does all that other stuff is not going to just throw up their hands and be like, ah, shucks, I guess you got us. You tricked us into passing the Electoral Count Act in 2022, and we didn't realize it was going to come back to haunt us. But let's focus for just one more second on that prior paragraph. It's a fairly shocking admission wrapped up in this big Taylor Swift story. They're saying that the election isn't going to be decided on election day, and it's not even going to be decided in November. They're saying it's not going to be decided until the Electoral College votes are counted on January 6th. And if you've been listening to this show for a while, I've been talking about that for a while. I've been talking about the possibility that we might see a contingent election where each state's delegation casts one vote on behalf of their state and the election is decided by the majority of those state delegations. I pointed out and have referenced multiple times now how Liz Cheney told Jake Tapper straight out, I am supporting Democrats to be elected in Congress this fall in case we end up with a contingent election. 
These narratives are being seeded for a reason. And it's good to take note of these because even in the event where a reality that includes this piece of the narrative does not come to pass, in the case that it does, you will be mentally prepared to look at it and understand, hey, something else is going on here. I am not going to fall for what everybody else right now is falling for. And in fact, I'm going to point out all the reasons they shouldn't be falling for it either. And that's kind of the point of all of this. This awakening process that's happening, that is about people pulling other people out of that false reality. Because if there is any chance of actually putting a stop to all of this, it's going to be done in reality prime, the empirical observable reality. We are coming to a moment where the reality and the false reality converge completely. And it's going to be a matter for each and every person to choose which of those paths they will follow because one of them is going to become the only reality that remains. You've got the global regime's agenda on one hand, the permanent loss of human liberty, social credit scores, central bank digital currencies that can be turned on and shut off whenever they want, restricted where you can buy things, all of your communications and movements will be tracked. That'll be part of your social credit score. You'll live in a 15-minute city. You can't go anywhere. You'll own nothing and you will be happy. If you don't play along with their game, with their agenda, you're going to have a bad social credit score. You're not going to be allowed to do the things you want to do. You're going to get a universal basic income, a small little box. You're welcome to drift off into the metaverse forever, but naturally you will have to continue getting your injections. If you want to choose the false reality and its comforts, those are the conditions. And if that's not what you want, well, then we all need to learn how to choose reality prime in as many cases as possible, because we are fast approaching that point. We had one reality. It was split off into two realities, the false reality existing layered on top of reality prime that is accomplished through the Manipulation of the trauma and response cycle, the Hegelian dialectic, the propaganda, the censorship, the constant portrayal of fiction as reality, and then the full and habitual participation in the digital universe as if that is fully representative of reality prime when we know it's not. So reality prime was split off a false reality layered on top of the empirical observable reality, two realities running concurrent, seeming as though they are the same reality. They are indistinguishable if you're not paying attention. This is the same dynamic that I talk about with the good twin and evil twin. They seem like they are the same thing in so many ways, but the truth is that it's actually two distinct things in direct opposition. We are coming to the point where those two things actually do merge and become one reality again, and which reality we all exist in moving forward depends entirely on what people actually choose in that moment of truth. It is also worth considering here in this article with this discussion about the election being decided in January rather than November. What are they telling you about the value of your vote in that November election? The New York Times is straight up telling everybody that it doesn't matter. That's not what's going to decide the election in the first place. It's actually rather incredible that they even included that part. Now, prepare yourself. I am going to create a segue so smooth that you won't even know it's happening. That's why I'm giving you a warning so that you don't get fooled and think, hey, wasn't he just talking about Taylor Swift? And now he's fully into a conversation about immigration. Well, here goes. A couple of weeks ago, I missed this little tidbit in the Gateway Pundit, but thankfully Donald Trump himself on Truth Social posted this article today. It's about a New York congresswoman named Yvette Clark. It's been a big story that New York City has been dealing with an influx of quote unquote asylum seekers, which is really just illegal aliens, which is really just people who unfortunately ended up in the regime's global slave trade. But there have been problems in New York with housing these people and providing the resources for them. There was a Brooklyn school that was actually taken over to house illegal aliens. 
which is its own separate, ridiculous side issue. Parents were like, that building is just for kids. Well, yeah, you would think so. Except here's the thing. You give the state money to own and operate that building, and it's the state's building. I know you think that it's your building because you're the taxpayer and you're the one paying for it, ostensibly. But no, it's the state's building. You pay taxes because you're afraid of getting in trouble. And I'm sure they're very, very grateful for you doing so, but it's still their building. And they're going to act like it whenever they want. But let's get to Yvette Clark. Here is Yvette Clark talking about the upside of bringing more illegal aliens into her district. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. We have a diaspora that, that can absorb a significant number of these migrants. And I, that, you know, when I hear uh, colleagues talk about, uh, you know, the, 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 the doors of the inn being closed, um, no room in the end. I'm saying, you know, I, I need more people in my district, but just for redistricting purposes. And those members could could clearly uh, fit here. Now, I want to focus in, obviously, on the redistricting part, but let's not just gloss over the word choice there. She said that there is a diaspora that can absorb these illegal aliens. Now, if you look up the definition of diaspora in Merriam-Webster, The first definition, the primary definition, is the Jews living outside Palestine or modern Israel. And the second definition is the one people commonly think of when they hear that word, or at least what I think of when I hear that word, people settled far from their ancestral homes. So it would be a group of people who have left their lands and migrated to a new place, and then they are grouped together in that new place. So there could be, for instance, an Italian diaspora or a Japanese diaspora here in America. Now, I don't have the context. I don't have the rest of that video to know which diaspora she's talking about or which land these illegal aliens she's discussing are coming from. But as we've discussed before, part of this global slave trade and part of the way they operate it is to send people from the same foreign country to the same city in America. Ilhan Omar is in the news right now for saying out loud at a public event that she is in Congress to do the bidding of the Somali people, not of Americans, not even just Somali Americans, but Somalis. She's essentially a representative of a foreign nation here in our Congress. And normie conservatives and Con Inc. figures are very mad at Ilhan Omar. Ron DeSantis is even stomping his little feet in his little cowboy boots and getting all mad about it online. And it's good to see establishment GOP figures coming to terms with the idea that dual loyalties are unacceptable in the United States Congress, at least for Ilhan Omar. That, of course, does not apply to all of those people who have the option for right-of-return citizenship in Israel. That's when dual loyalties are totally okay. But let's get back to this statement by Yvette Clark. She says she needs illegal aliens for the redistricting alone. She wants that population recorded in the census for when they draw the lines of congressional districts. Ultimately, it's those census numbers that dictate how many congressional representatives each state has. And people generally understand that that's a bad thing, but they don't really pay much attention to it. They don't understand that illegal aliens do get counted in the census as part of our population. And they count toward that allotment of congressional representatives by state. I've talked about this before, but the argument on the census's behalf is that the constitutional provisions about the census don't say that the census should count citizens. It just says that the census should count people. And when you understand that illegal aliens count toward that number of total people, and that number of total people is how the allotment of congressional delegates per state is divvied up, and how federal resources are assigned and appropriated and distributed, then you can immediately see that these states are incentivized to bring in illegal aliens and even make them more a part of the formal processes of the state so that they will be happy to fill out their census forms and be counted. 
But we have to go one level deeper. And here you're going to see that segue I told you about all those many minutes ago. Yeah, it's been happening the whole time. You didn't even know. Although if you're very, very clever, I believe you might be able to see where I'm headed. I just talked about contingent elections. What decides a contingent election? Well, the state delegation, the majority of state delegations around the country. Do we have 26 Republican delegations and 24 Democrat delegations? Do we have 27 Democrat delegations and 22 Republican delegations with three ties? We are being given hints that those numbers are going to decide the outcome of who our next president is. And at the same time, we have Democrat members of Congress giving public remarks about how they need more illegal aliens for redistricting, legitimately trying to game the system to generate more Democrat members of Congress. You think these redistricting fights are really about voter suppression and racism? You think the influx of illegal aliens is due to climate change and gang violence in their home countries? Nope. Those are the explanations for stupid people who watch cable news. And you can understand why the regime would lie about that. What are they going to do? Go out and tell people, yes, we actually bring in all of these people from all around the world, from countries we've decimated economically. We bring them here to exploit their slave labor and their political power. We do it so that in the areas of the country we control, we can actually expand our power on the backs of these slaves we import. And if we do it enough, we might be able to expand our power to the point where we can decide presidential elections in the United States of America just based on these slaves. And it's funny because as I discussed last week, I've been reading a book by a Columbia law professor named George Fletcher called Our Secret Constitution. And it's about how Abraham Lincoln used the Civil War to replace our original constitution with a brand new constitution. It's not a republic anymore based on human liberty. Now it's a democracy based on equality. And Fletcher is actually pretty explicit about it. Chapter five is called Equality. And he goes through a long rationalization on how the Declaration of Independence and the statement that all men are created equal means that the country must pursue a social justice agenda for anyone and everyone who is here. And he discusses how the Reconstruction Amendments are focused on people who are here in the United States of America and how our laws will apply to them whether or not they are American citizens. He talks frequently in the chapter about voting rights for black men initially and then for women later on. And he writes this, recognizing the inherent moral equality of women in 1863 did not mean, however, that they would receive full legal and political equality as did black men. The notion of, quote, appropriate roles in life, end quote, still governed relations among equals, and it would take decades for Americans to grasp that the politics of equality cannot brook the coercion of women into domestic apolitical roles, nor could some misguided theory of social organization tolerate the relegation of blacks to a limited number of lower status professions. Now, the part that's never mentioned, the part that gets kind of sticky, is that the slave trade that was conducted 160 years ago and prior was being conducted by people operating within the same system that conducts the slave trade right now. And it wasn't whites enslaving blacks. It was certain members of elite society owning people as property who were transported here as slaves. The argument was made that they have just as much right to vote as American citizens. And being that all men are created equal, this is what our founding documents require. This is why the race aspect is so important to them in the slavery story. Because if this was all about slaves, which were not only black, the conversation would be different. Because then you have to engage with questions like, if slaves can vote, what's to stop the evil slave owners from bringing over a bunch more slaves 
and then casting all their votes according to the wishes of the slave owners. And what we have now is a modernized version of that. People are collected from abroad. They are brought here to exploit their labor and their political power. A few paragraphs later, Fletcher compares our Reconstruction Amendments to the laws passed in the new German Basic Law of 1949 following World War II. He wrote, The structure of Article I of the German Basic Law bears a striking resemblance to the 13th Amendment, which in its core provides, quote, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States, end quote. If we think of the prohibition against slavery and involuntary servitude as an affirmation of autonomy, then the passive sentence of the 13th Amendment could be rewritten without change of content in the form of the German Basic Law. And just to conclude, he frames it as follows. Human dignity and autonomy are inviolable. All state power is obligated both to protect and respect autonomy by eliminating slavery and involuntary servitude. So he's making the same justification for the extension of voting privileges back then that is being made right now on behalf of these illegal aliens being brought into the country. There are cities around the country approving voting rights for illegal aliens on the basis that they work here and pay taxes and they're part of our society. And because the documents say all men are created equal, not all American citizens, then the rights afforded to Americans must be afforded to anyone in America. And you can see the regime logic inside this. Think about how that works in a push toward a one world global order. They would say, well, a person who has rights in America shouldn't lose those rights when they go to a different country. They should still maintain their same rights. And so once they're in that country, then you would say of that country, well, there are citizens here in your country that have different rights based on where they came from. They should have these rights in your country, too, because, of course, all men are created equal. And you can see clearly in this book, by the way, that the same playbook plays out over and over and over again in different countries across the world. Is it some sort of mistake that provisions added into our constitution illegitimately after the Civil War were added into German law after World War II by the same regime? It's not a coincidence. It's a playbook. The arguments for extending the vote back then, even to non-citizens, is the same as the argument for allowing non-citizens to vote now. The race factor doesn't even come into play here, except in one important respect. That is the leverage that they use to make good people acting in good faith do what they want. If you don't allow illegal aliens to vote, you're racist. So we have members of Congress representing other nations, members of Congress welcoming the invasion, the slave trade at our southern border, because it helps with Democrat redistricting efforts. And if it helps enough, oh, maybe they can win a presidency while they're at it. And we're supposed to go along with all of it or else, of course, we are racist. So we talked last week about the op that is happening at the southern border right now. The conflict between Texas and the other states with Republican governors and the federal government. And some caveats to repeat what I said last week. I understand there is a real immigration problem. I just talked about it for 20 minutes. And I used framing that all of those con Inc. media figures who are lighting themselves on fire on television to talk about immigration are scared to use. Do you imagine I do that because I'm not concerned with the problem? I am concerned with the problem. And I'm also not saying that there's nothing here worth paying attention to. Again, I think this argument about federalism and states' rights is really important. It is a foundational argument, and it's something that has to be worked out and understood. So I think it's very important to pay attention to that. But that said, we don't need to get wrapped up into the Civil War nonsense. We don't need to pretend that all these Con Inc. GOP governors are finally the greatest people on earth because they're standing up for the first time after three plus years while trying to get a terrible piece of legislation passed. 
And we don't need to go ape shit over a trucker convoy reality show where we're going to be presented with all new main characters. Ah, there's going to be a funny trucker. And there'll be a big, burly, super patriotic trucker. And there may even be a trucker rocking some Taylor Swift gear. Wouldn't that be great? A trucker in a Travis Kelsey jersey who has a Taylor Swift song title painted right onto the side of the truck because his daughter loves Taylor Swift. We're going to get his whole backstory. He'll be like the Olympics. If you want more of my thoughts and comments on the situation at the border, the episode from Friday called Selling the Drama is where you will find all of that. So on Friday afternoon, Joe Biden issued a statement on the bipartisan Senate border negotiations. And he said, for too long, we all know the border's been broken. It's long past time to fix it. That's why two months ago, I instructed my team to begin negotiations with a bipartisan group of senators to seriously and finally address the border crisis. For weeks now, that's what they've done. Working around the clock, through the holidays, and over the weekends. Let's be clear. What's been negotiated would, if passed into law, be the toughest and fairest set of reforms to secure the border we've ever had in our country. It would give me, as president, a new emergency authority to shut down the border when it becomes overwhelmed. And if given that authority, I would use it the day I sign the bill into law. Further, Congress needs to finally provide the funding I requested in October to secure the border. This includes an additional 1,300 Border Patrol agents, 375 immigration judges, 1,600 asylum officers, and over 100 cutting-edge inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl at our southwest border. Securing the border through these negotiations is a win for America. For everyone who is demanding tougher border control, this is the way to do it. If you're serious about the border crisis, pass a bipartisan bill and I will sign it. So Biden is pushing to get this bill done. And he restates right there what he wants from this bill. He wants funding and new agents so that they can process illegal aliens faster. It's not to keep people out. It's to speed up the processing. 375 immigration judges and 1600 asylum officers. They aren't there to keep people out. And he wants machines to detect fentanyl. Donald Trump has said many times in his rally speeches over the past few weeks that dogs do a better job than these machines do, which makes you wonder why they want these machines. And of course, they want to expand the surveillance state in our country, and they are going to use the southern border as their template for doing so. They're going to say, look how well it worked down there. Wouldn't you want the safety of this surveillance system in your neighborhood? As I mentioned on Friday, the narrative ploy here is to say, look at all these things that are going to fix this border problem we've got you all worked up about. In return, you need to give us $110 billion to fund these fake foreign proxy wars in Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. The whole thing is is a gift to the global regime. It helps them implement their agenda, but they're acting like it's a gift to us because making this deal would enable us to keep all of these illegal aliens out. Joe Biden says he needs more power to be able to do that, but he doesn't need more power. He has plenty of power and Texas has plenty of power for that matter to keep the illegal aliens out, which is yet another reason to wonder why Greg Abbott is being treated as a hero here. This is what the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, had to say in response. He released a statement on Saturday. As I explained to him in a letter late last year and have specifically reiterated to him on multiple occasions since, he can and must take executive action immediately to reverse the catastrophe he has created. The Immigration and Nationality Act coupled with recent Supreme Court precedent, give him ample authority to, quote, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem to be appropriate, end quote. As my letter stated, President Biden can begin to secure the border by ending catch and release, ceasing exploitation of parole authority, 
reinstating the Remain in Mexico program, expanding the use of expedited removal authority, and renewing construction of the border wall. The president must start by using the broad legal authority he already possesses to reclaim our nation's sovereignty and end the mass release of illegal aliens into our country. According to reports, the Senate's pending proposal would expressly allow as many as 150,000 illegal crossings each month, 1.8 million per year, before any new shutdown authority could be used. At that point, America will have already been surrendered. So this is a negotiating point from Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. They want to let in 5,000 illegal aliens per day. That is their deal. That is what they will then call shutting down the border. Now, this might sound ridiculous, but think about how this has always worked in the past. We wouldn't be having these conversations in the past. Whatever went out on Fox News and the mainstream media, that is what people would ultimately believe and then support. People would be supporting the GOP as they passed this legislation and the president signed it into law. And establishment GOP senators and congressmen would be out on TV talking about how this is a real win for the American people, a real win for the Republican Party. We showed the country what can be done even with our small majority, as long as we have their support at our backs. That is what we would be told. And that would be pathetic. They would have rolled over and surrendered 150,000 illegal aliens a month. 1.8 million illegal aliens per year? You can totally ignore the tens of millions of illegal aliens that are already in this country and think about what that would look like in the next 10 years. In 10 years, that is 18 million illegal aliens being brought into this country. That is more people than the population of all our states, except for New York, Florida, Texas, and California. Think about the deal that's being negotiated and think about Biden's statement. He said this negotiation has been going on for two months now and that he's been supporting it for two months. He requested that $110 billion and those nasty Republicans went and tied that money for those very important foreign wars to this immigration problem at our border. They need to get both of these global regime agenda items passed at the same time by playing them off one another and playing to each party within that controlled opposition dynamic. Tell the Republicans this one side is good. Tell the Democrats the other side is good. Show the country that this thing really is a problem and we desperately have to solve it. We have to solve it right now, in fact, even though we created it and it's been around for years. Over these last few months that these negotiations have been taking place, the terms of the negotiations haven't changed. What kind of negotiation is like that where it is ongoing and you are told that people are negotiating through the night over the holidays round the clock. They are working to hammer out a deal, but none of the terms of the deal have changed. They haven't changed at all. What sort of negotiation is that? And you might notice it's not a negotiation, but yet the leverage still seems to be changing or at least they're acting like it. What could possibly change the leverage if the terms of the deal haven't changed. Now, if the Republicans were negotiating in earnest, you would think that they would have more leverage based on this dire situation we see on the television screen each night with all of our favorite TV characters yelling about it nonstop. You would think they might say, you know what? We had this border deal tied to this funding for these fake foreign proxy wars but we're going to untie those. Instead, we're actually just going to make you pass this border package that's going to secure our border because the whole country can now see that the border is a problem. They want that problem fixed. No one really wants to fund these fake foreign proxy wars. So we're just going to have you all pass this border package and you're going to do it because that's what the American people want. But we're not seeing that. Of course, we're not seeing that. I certainly don't need to tell you this, but for the normies out there, we're not seeing that because it's not a real negotiation. And the members of the GOP who are involved in this quote unquote negotiation, well, they don't really give a damn about the American people and they sure don't care about ending that slave trade they're profiting from. The terms of this non-negotiation negotiation haven't changed. What has changed? The way leverage is manipulated. 
They are increasing the public drama. They are ratcheting up the tension and the discord so that everyone knows this situation has to be resolved immediately and then allows the regime to proceed with their plan as intended. They need to get all the American people on board. They need to get everyone on the same page. They need to get everyone to believe that it's okay that the government goes ahead and does this, even though the American people don't want it. And they will keep trying to escalate the tension and ratchet up the discord until they're able to get what they want. And at this point, how many options do they have left? Crime by illegal aliens is already through the roof. We've had incidents of mass violence by illegal aliens, gang activity with illegal aliens. Well, that's not enough. So if you're trying to ratchet up the tension in the discord, what do you have left? Terrorist acts? Civil war? That's the path we're on. Donald Trump even posted on Truth Social over the weekend. He said there's a 100% chance we will see a terrorist attack in this country as a result of our open borders. And I imagine that means we will see some sort of false flag event, hopefully not a real one, but it's possible. And then we will be told that that event has shifted American public sentiment and now they are behind this bipartisan deal getting done. But let's get back to Mike Johnson's statement. The thrust of his argument is that Joe Biden already has ample power to shut down the border and do whatever he needs to do to solve this immigration problem right now. That is the argument to make. It's the only argument that needs making. There should be no deal, no border package, no matter what. And it definitely cannot be tied to the funding of fake foreign proxy wars. The details of the situation at that point no longer matter. The details are the fiction. It's the fiction that sells. If they can sell you the fiction, they can force your emotional reaction. That's the point. The rest of it is fiction. We don't need to pretend the GOP are heroic for taking this stand. We don't need to pay attention to the trucker convoy. We don't need to pretend that concertina wire is solving the illegal alien problem. And without it, we would be overrun by the marauding hordes. This problem has existed for years and it was not just solved with concertina wire. Now, again, the federalism stuff, the state's rights issues, all that matters a great deal. But most of the rest of this is just drama instigated to get the American people on board with passing this legislation that is 100% bad for us and 100% good for the global regime. Donald Trump weighed in on this in his speech on Saturday night in Nevada. We cannot let this happen to our country as the leader of our party. There is zero chance I will support this horrible open borders betrayal of America. It's not going to happen. I noticed that, and I'll fight it all the way. I noticed a lot of the senators, a lot of the senators are trying to say respectfully they're blaming it on me. I said, that's okay. Please blame it on me, please, because they were getting ready to pass a very bad bill. And I'll tell you what. A bad bill is, I'd rather have no bill than a bad bill. A bad bill you can't have, and that's what was happening in the House. As you know, the Speaker, who's, by the way, if, I think he's going to prove to be a very good Speaker. It's tough when you have a very small majority. Very tough. Mike Johnson, Speaker, he just said it's dead on arrival in the House. It's dead on arrival. We want either a strong bill or no bill, and whatever happens, happens. But this is the single greatest threat to our country right now is the people pouring into our country. It's better to have no bill than a bad bill. And he also made it explicit and clear that the president does not require any additional powers to protect the country from invasion. I mean, unless, of course, we're operating under a whole different set of laws and none of us were told about it. And to tell you the truth, it's starting to seem more and more like that's exactly what's going on. Donald Trump reiterated these sentiments yesterday on Truth Social, writing, A border bill is not necessary to stop the millions of people, many from jails and mental institutions located all over the world, that are pouring into our country. It is an invasion the likes of which no country has ever had to endure. It is not sustainable or affordable and will, under crooked Joe Biden, only get worse. 
I had the safest and most secure border in U.S. history. I didn't need a bill. They are using this horrific Senate bill as a way of being able to put the border disaster onto the shoulders of Republicans. The Democrats broke the border. They should fix it. No legislation is needed. It's already there. A woman of color on CNN today had a different view. This is Pocahontas herself, Elizabeth Warren. And yes, I know she's one of the whitest old ladies to ever live, but according to her, she's a woman of color and that's all that matters. But the real threat here is the one you identified just now, and that is Donald Trump, who says there's a problem at the border, but he wants that problem to get worse, to continue to be a problem so that he can run on it next November. That is another example of Donald Trump trying to put his own political interests ahead of the interests of the United States. He says he's out there cheering for an economic recession, knowing it would put people out of work, knowing it would cost people their savings. But that's what he wants because he thinks it will help him come November. You know, this is a man who puts himself first and puts the United States of America way behind that. If that if what we heard from Donald Trump trying to tank this deal if that is what holds Republicans in Congress back from supporting this deal, what does that say to you? You know, it, that really should say to all of us, who do Republicans put first? You know, for a long time, they just put the millionaires and billionaires first. But now it's Donald Trump first. And then the millionaires and billionaires right behind that and then the rest of the country behind that. They're not a party that's talking about how to make things better, safer. It's funny watching the weather girl doing the news as she talks to Elizabeth Warren and the two of them play off one another. Just yesterday, we talked about how the cable news is a reality show. You can see it and you could probably even hear it in the audio. Warren did her entire spiel about how it's Donald Trump first. It's not America first. It's Donald Trump first. He doesn't want the border problem solved so that he can make it a political issue and gain political power from it. It's not because the deal's terrible and the deal would actually harm Americans. And Donald Trump has let Americans know that. And now Americans don't want the deal. It's because Donald Trump wants to use it as a political issue in the election. Again, of course, that'll never work because they've already identified Donald Trump as the anti-immigration guy. But then the CNN anchor just tees it up again and asks Elizabeth Warren to essentially say the same thing, but more dramatic, more anti-Trump. Let's just really give the CNN viewers what they came here for, Senator Warren. And so she basically just layered in her original answer with some of her stump speech. So it's not just Trump first and not America first. It's Trump first and then the millionaires and billionaires and then everybody else. But honestly, what do you expect her to do? She can't just go around telling the truth. And besides, it's the fiction that sells. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. It's hand
Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!